as we gather together over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about freedom through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I don't know if you've been set free this morning yet or not, but I hope that before today is over that you will find the freedom that Jesus Christ can bring in your life, that each and every one of us are called to live a life that is an abundant life, not a life of bondage, not a life uh, of struggle, not a life where we uh, are not living in everything that God has for us, but truly an abundant life that He has called us to. Would you take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to turn our attention, and then we're going to go to the book of Matthew as well. And as you're doing that, let me greet campuses today that are joining with us. And we're just excited about what God is doing in each and every local house of Love and Truth Church. We're believing that the Word of God will not return void and that the power of the Holy Spirit will minister to you there today just like it's ministering to us. The book of Genesis, the second chapter, uh, verse 7 and 8 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, we talked about this last week, and breathed into his nostril the breath of life. And man became a living being. Another interpretation says, and man became a speaking spirit. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God created man. He took man and he placed him in this beautiful paradise called the Garden of Eden. Matthew, the 26th chapter, and verse 36 says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, it's another garden, and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Here's my subject this morning. I want to talk to you today about from garden to garden. In the Garden of Eden, what we see is, is that man is created perfect. Man is created in the image and in the likeness of God. And yet what we find is, is that at some period of time, man chooses to go their own way. They choose to do uh, something that is against the Word of God and against what God has told them to do. And so they live their own way and do their own thing. And so what we have is, is that we have uh, this, this uh, paradox of, of Jesus coming as, as the last Adam, Scripture says. Uh, Adam in the garden is the first Adam, but then there is the last Adam that comes, and his name is Jesus. And he goes to a garden, and in that garden we find him uh, coming to that place where he cries out, not my will, but your will be done. Now let me, let me just set this up. We talked about this last week, and that is this. The source of power for the life of a Christian is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's through his blood that you and I have freedom. It's through his blood that we have power. It's through his blood that we are able to live the life that he has called us to live. The Bible says it's not of works lest any man should boast. And I think that's wool man too. Any man or woman. I mean, it just any person should boast. But the Bible says it's a gift of God, and God has given us the gift through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What we find happening, though, is that we find in uh, the Garden of Eden, we find that Adam and Eve one day choose to do what they want. They choose to disobey God. They choose to come to that place where they say, Lord, we don't care what you say. We have determined we want something more than what you have told us is ours. See, that's the way the devil always plays. He always shows up in your life, and he tells you God's trying to keep something good from you. 
Always. That's his trick. You know what? He showed up in Adam and Eve's life and he said to them, uh, if you'll eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. Well, let me help you. They already were like God. The Bible says that they had been created in the image and in the likeness of God. They were in a perfect state. They were in a perfect place. How much more like God could they have gotten? But, but the, the, the serpent, Satan, tricked them into believing that there was something else that they needed to have. And so the will of man was done in the Garden of Eden. But what we find is, is that Jesus, as he begins uh, to come to that place of intercession right before uh, the next few hours that are going to lead to his crucifixion, we find him coming to that place of saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. What is this cup he's talking about? He's talking about the suffering. He's talking about the sin uh, of every person that's going to be placed upon him. And he's saying, Lord, let this pass from me. But then he goes on to say, but not my will, but your will be done. See, in the Garden of Eden, the will of man was done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the will of God was done. From garden to garden. From the one garden, which was all about man, to the last garden, which is all about a Savior who has come to set his people free from their sins. The Bible says this. The Bible says that, that Jesus went to that garden that night and he was in intense agony. Now, we often talk about the blood of Jesus. In fact, last week we talked about several things that the blood of Jesus does for our life. But let me just refresh one point. We talked about how that the Scripture talks that Jesus' blood speaks for us. All right? Uh, that the blood that, that fell to the ground literally has a voice and it speaks for us. And so we, we each and every one of us look at that and we, we have a tendency to look at the blood of Jesus just at Calvary. But when you begin to study the night of Jesus' betrayal and, and the, uh, the process that he goes through before his crucifixion, what you will find, you will find Jesus not shedding his blood one place, but you will find Jesus shedding his blood at numerous places over the next few hours. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few sermons is we're going to be talking about the different places that Jesus shed his blood and what that does in our life. Because each place that he shed his blood did something different. We're all familiar with the cross and it brings salvation. We understand that. Most of us are familiar with the stripes that were laid upon his back for our healing. But there are many other things that also took place. And today, we're going to talk about Jesus in the garden. And the Bible said that Jesus was, was in agony. He was in prayer. In fact, he had taken the 12 apostles with him, actually 11 at that point, because Judas had already left uh, to go uh, betray him. And he takes the 11 and he goes, and, and then he tells them, wait here while I go and pray. And, and I want to tell you something about this prayer. How, how many of you have ever had nice little prayers? Ever had, had nice prayers? Now I lay me down to sleep. Jesus bless this food, right? Good food, good meat. No, I'm saying I'm not going there. Uh, you, you ever had good, you know, those good prayers? You know, those, those, uh, those wonderful King James prayers, I say. Haven't done this in a while. Oh, heavenly Father, we loveth thee, oh God, hallelujah. We praiseth thee today, oh Lordeth. Thou art, art so wonderful. Ever had those? But there are those moments that you just go, oh, God. If you were to have been in the garden that night, you would not have heard a, a really well laid out prayer. 
You, you would not have heard a prayer that was, uh, you know, all the prepositions in the right place and no dangling participles and all. You, you would have heard Jesus just crying out in agony because the Bible says he was in such agony that his sweat literally became bloody. It says he had sweat as of great drops of blood. Now, uh, those who study the body and physiology tell us that if you get under certain strain, that you literally, your body, the capillaries of your body can literally release the blood through your sweat, and you can sweat great drops of blood if you are in intense agony. Jesus is in such intense agony because he knows what he's getting ready to face. He knows the beatings that he's going to have. He knows the crucifixion he's going to experience. But I want to tell you, all of that pales in comparison to what he knows he's going to have to experience by taking the sin of the entire humanity upon him. The one who knew no sin. The one who had never sinned. This perfect spotless lamb all of a sudden is going to not only experience a little bit of sin but he is going to experience the sin from the garden of eden to the end of days and he is going to bear those upon his body in fact some scholars tell us that the the, the when when jesus was on the cross that his body literally took upon it all of the sicknesses and the diseases. And that's why the Scripture says no man would look at him because he was so misshapen and so, so horrible to look at that you didn't even want to look at him because the entirety of all sickness, all disease, all sin had come upon Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you, I love you, but I don't love you that much. And don't you dare act like you love me that much. And the Bible says that while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. And so he's in this garden and he's praying and, and, and his sweat becomes like great drops of blood and drops to the ground. And that sweat symbolized the victory that Jesus is winning at that moment. Because here's what Jesus is doing. Adam had submitted to the will of man. Jesus is submitting to the will of God. Here's what's going on there, is that Jesus is giving us the ability to change. I, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that I have been given the ability to change. You, you know, we, we live in a society that we like to say everybody's good. You ever heard that? Well, you know, pe people are basically good. Well, look up here a second. Just, just look at me for a minute, all right? I want to tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Man is not good. In fact, Augustine, uh, the great saint of the ages, uh, said man was depraved. That means whatever your mind can imagine, if you didn't get caught, you might try it. Oh, Pastor, I'd never do that. Oh, yes, you would. We see people commit sin. We go, oh, I can never do that. Really? You could do it. Oh, I can never cheat. Oh, yes, you could. I can never steal. Oh, yes, you could. I can never commit adultery. Yes, you could. I can never murder. Oh, man, I've thought about it. Man is not basically good. Man is basically evil. David said, I was 
born in sin, I was shapen in iniquity. And, and I, I can tell this morning uh, by saying that some of you are bristling a little bit. Well, I, I believe we're, we're all good. No, no, we're not. You, you want me to prove it to you? Look, look at a baby, a brand new baby that comes to this earth, so sweet, so nice, so whatever. But I want to tell you it does not take that baby any time at all to become selfish and spoiled and a brat. Oh, no, my little darling. Yes, your little darling. We all talk about it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and so what has to happen is, is that I have to change. I have, I have to have the freedom to change. And that's, that's the one thing that I see so often in our society is that people are told so often is, oh, you can't change. I want to tell you, you can change. You have the ability through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed in a garden so that man could change. Man was now given back the ability to do not what he wanted to do, but what he should do. The Apostle Paul talked about, he said, there's a law that works in me. It's called the law of sin and death. He goes on to say, he says, he said, there are those things that I don't want to do that I find myself doing. And he said, there are those things that I want to do that I don't do. And he says, I, I'm in this struggle. But he goes on to say, but thanks be unto God who giveth me the triumph. In other words, I can have victory. I can change. Look at your neighbor and say, you can change. Come on, some of you have been wanting to tell them that for a long time. I, I just gave you permission in church to tell them what you've been wanting to say to them. You can change. You can be different. Now, how do we go about coming to that place of living in this freedom, in, in this place that Jesus Christ has purchased for us and he has given unto us? Each of us have been given that. And so the, the freedom was the ability to do what is right, not what I want to do. So how do I go about moving into this place of freedom? If you still have your Bibles open, go to the book of Colossians, the third chapter, because I'm going to give you three things this morning based out of the blood of Jesus that was shed in the garden, but that gives us some hands-on tools in how we go about living this changed life. And, and I, I, I want to help you today to understand that, that there's, it's a process and you're going to get there. Look at verse 1, if you would, of chapter 3. It says this, if then you were raised with Christ, talking about salvation, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, how many of you understand God does not have a right hand? That shocked you, didn't it? God is a spirit. It is a literary term that they're using here. It is the seat of power that it's referring to. So Jesus is at the seat of power is what the Scripture says. And so the, the first thing that you have to do is that you have to get in the right place. Now, how, how do I get in the right place? I get in the right place by understanding that I have been raised with Jesus Christ. The Bible says it this way. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I, I'm, I'm just there. A, a Christian has been united with Jesus Christ. My old DNA, we talked about this a little bit last week, my old DNA has gone away. How did that happen? It's a term. It's a two-word term that we don't hear much, and that word is born again. Brother, have you been born again? You know, that's kind of a cliche, but it really is true. Have, because if you haven't been born again, 
I don't care whose preacher's hands you shook. I don't care whose baptistry you got baptized in. It doesn't do you any good until you are truly born again. And we're not talking about being born of flesh because that which is born of flesh is flesh. We are talking about being born of the Spirit. How do I do that? Through the blood. In other words, there is a DNA transfer. I, I am no longer who I used to be. I now have the DNA of Jesus Christ. I, I don't know how many of you are basketball fans, but, but let's, let's use this as an analogy for a minute. Uh, anybody ever watched LeBron James play ball? Come on. I, I mean, the, the guy is just, I mean, he's unbelievable. he was unbelievable when he was 15 years old. And, and he does stuff with a basketball that makes Michael Jordan sick. I, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how, how, how talented this guy is. And, and you, you can say, man, I, I want to be, like, be like LeBron James. I, I, I'm going I'm to go to his basketball camp. And so you go to his basketball camp, and he teaches you all the fundamentals, and he gives you all the stuff. And, and you say, I want to be like LeBron, and, and you, you can eat Wheaties like LeBron eats Wheaties. Had his picture on there. You, know, these, you can do all that stuff, but I, I, let me just help you. You still can't play like LeBron. It's not going to happen. Some of you think you can. You couldn't. He'd mop the court with you. All right? Why? It would have been to your advantage to have had the same DNA that he has. Because if you had the same DNA, whether you were an older or a younger sibling, there is a greater potential for you playing like he plays. Come on, don't miss it. Don't get caught up in basketball and miss the Holy Ghost. It is the same way in us. It's not just about reading about Jesus and eating the cereal that Jesus ate. It is about a transfusion. It is about the blood of Jesus Christ making me into a new creation, and now I'm in the right place, and I can live the way God wants me to. And from the moment I'm saved, I have the ability to be like Jesus. You say, you, you, you think you can be like Jesus? Well, the Bible tells me I can. The Bible tells me I'm an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The, the Bible says that I am a son of God. That means I've got his DNA, that I, that I am like him. You say, well, I saw you do so and so. I saw this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever seen a Christian do something they shouldn't do? You ever got all offended and ran and told a pastor and sent anonymous emails, Facebooked your 7,000 friends, tweeted to your 83 friends, whatever it is that you do to let them know, I, can you believe that I saw so-and-so? Now, let me help you for something. How many of you know that when a baby is born, that at the moment that it's born, it's fully human? In fact, we believe that at conception it's fully human. That's why we believe that abortion is something that should not be done. All right? So when that baby comes out, it's, it's, it is a human. But how many of you know that baby's got to mature? You didn't know that? Let me help you. You have to feed that baby. If you have a baby and you hadn't been feeding it, we need to talk. 
You have to feed that baby. And then you have to teach that baby how to feed itself. And have you ever seen a restaurant when parents leave who are teaching their kid to eat? It is like an atomic bomb has exploded at that table. There is stuff all over. There's stuff underneath. There's, I mean, I just I go, oh, Lord, help that waitress. God, I hope they tipped her good because it's a mess. I mean, it's just a mess. And then you have to teach them. You have to potty train them. Thank you, Jesus, for that day. <laughs> then you have to teach them their ABCs. Then you have to send them to school. Then you have to send them to college for 20 or 30 years. <laughs> and they finally at 50 graduate. And <laughs> you hope they're mature. How many of you know in natural life, maturity is a process? Well, let me help you. In spiritual life, it is as well. It's a process. And so just because somebody is not fully what you think they ought to be does not mean that they're not fully a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I have to be willing to allow them to move forward in everything that God has for them. So, first of all, I've got to get myself in the right place. Secondly, uh, it's found in the next verse there, if you would. Verse number two says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. The second thing you've got to do is set your mind. You've got to get your mind in the right place. The blood of Jesus Christ gives you the ability to change, but I promise you, if you get your mind in the wrong place, you're going to fail. Here's what we need to do. We need to focus on the place of true power. I, listen, I don't focus on me because I'm like the Apostle Paul. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Apostle Paul was not talking about this. He was talking about our carnal nature. Listen, my carnality has a way of staying alive. Holy, holy, holy. You're such a fraud. I love you, but you're playing games. Your carnality has a way of working. It, it, I mean, it just kind of, I, I, I recently, does the Lord ever convict you? Come on, anybody? A few of you. rest of you, the devil's already got. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, is it, <laughs> over the past few months, I, the, the Lord began to talk to me about something. And I shouldn't tell this, but I'll confess it anyway. I'll mess some of you up so bad anyway. Um, I, here, here's what I caught myself doing. Be because of the media, I don't know how many of you, you know, the, the media that's out there, you can't turn on anything, you can't listen to anything, whatever. Uh, there's, there's always words slipping in, things slipping in the, you know, in the vernacular of our everyday society. And, and, and it, just, it just happens. And you walk in restaurants and hear it and whatever. And, and so I, I caught myself in certain situations. Now, y'all ready? Because I can tell you, some of you, this is going to mess your world up. I caught myself in certain situations allowing those words to resonate in my mind. Now, I didn't speak them. I didn't say, you blank, out there, blank, blank, blank. But the, the, it would just it'd be there. I'd go, and, oh, hallelujah. I love perfect people. 
And, uh, and the Lord started saying, you, you really shouldn't do that. I said, well, Lord, it's just a society we're in. I mean, y'all don't talk to God? I mean, he'll tell me stuff, and I'll, I'll always have an, a, a reason. You ought to do this. My Lord, you know. Sharon and I were out recently riding a motorcycle, and we were passing this guy, and it was an older gentleman, and, and his, his little tractor mower was, was mired up. And, and I looked at him and waved and kept going. Well, somebody would help him. I, And Jesus, in the form of my wife, <laughs> tapped me on the back. And I acted like I couldn't hear her because I got this full face helmet on. And, <laughs> you know, my motor was running. I was heading out on the highway. You know, I didn't have time to stop and help that guy. It's his fault he's stuck. Anyway, long story short, Jesus and my wife got me to go back. So th th there's these processes in life where if we're not careful, we will allow ourselves to continue to live in ways that are not pleasing to God. And, and we'll, we'll justify it because, well, the Lord, it's just, it's just life. It's just where we're living. It's just, you know, and, and yet the Lord has called us to set our place, our mind on things above. See, you don't need to focus on the sinning that's in your life. You need to focus on the benefits of God. Let me say that again. Don't focus on the sin. That's law. That's meeting the highway patrolman, and immediately you take your foot off the gas pedal. I, I don't care if you're sitting in rush hour traffic and not moving. You just go, ooh. But as soon as he's by... Why? Because you're in the law, not in the grace. You, you're, just, you're just doing it because you're supposed to do it. And as soon as you get away from somebody who's looking at you, who's making you do it, you're going to do something else. Grace brings us to the place of focusing on God. And so as I focus on him, I move in the, to where he is. As you move toward Jesus, you move away from sin. See, if there's a continuum here, this is sin and this is Jesus. Wherever I am, the more I move toward Jesus, the more I move away from sin. And so that's why the Scripture says, set your affections. The blood of Jesus Christ gives you the ability to change, but it's by setting my affections on things above that this happens. I am changed by Jesus as I spend time with Jesus. Have you ever seen people who've been married for a long time? I've been married over 30 years. I don't even have to say anything. She knows what I'm thinking. She doesn't have to say anything. I sure know what she's thinking. Right? I mean, they, they, they start saying people, you ever heard people say, well, you know, they've been married so long they look alike? Ever heard that? I mean, I've seen people who've had animals so long they start looking alike. I didn't look at that bulldog they got right there. That looks just like him. Sorry. It's, what you hang out with is what you become. If I hang out with Jesus and participate in what his blood has bought for me, 
I'm going to be like him. Look at verse 5 and I'll close. Verse 5 says, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here's the third thing you got to do. You've got to become a killer. Uh-oh. The Bible says you've got to put some things to death. I want to tell you, it takes some violent action to defeat sin. And I, you know, no, no, no. You've, you've got to make up your mind. I am not going to, to stop those sinful habits that are in your life. You've got to cut it off from the source. Let me help you. You, you. you men especially who struggle with pornography, let me tell you something. If you struggle with pornography and you don't have a filter on your computer, you will find yourself experiencing all the pornography that's out there. I don't care how many times you came to church and how many times you prayed in the Spirit. You have trouble with alcohol, you keep it in your refrigerator, you'll be drunk before the night's over. You have trouble with tobacco and you got a pack in your pocket, you'll smoke it before you get home. Well, come on. Whatever, some things we have to put to death. And what somebody else may have to do to put some things to death, I may not have to, but each of us have to decide what it is that we're called to do. The book of Romans, the 13th chapter, the 14th verse says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Come on, you got to become a killer. Got to kill some things in your life. If you really want to be an overcomer, if you really want to change, you got to kill some things in your life. So my question to you is, what's your battle plan? What is your battle plan? Well, I'm just going to show up and love Jesus. That's wonderful, but you got to have a plan of action. Jesus, in intense agony, sweat, great drops of blood, and freedom came to each and every person through that blood. I have the freedom to change. I don't have to be what I was. I can change. I can do what I should do, not what I want to do. But it's through the blood of Jesus and appropriating his word to my life. And when I do that, I begin to move into the freedom that his word tells me is mine.